Would it be right to say that fairy tales were originally quite progressive? Well, not as progressive as you, obviously. <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to mansplain. Uh, no, it's very nice to meet a man who's engaged. Uh. <laughs> Bravo! There he is. Geriatric gigolo. You just couldn't help yourself, could you? You dirty dog. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street catch-up podcast that after sinkholes, shooters and stabbings suspected that the next visit to the cobbles from the Grim Reaper was going to result in death by vending machine. I'm Gavin. And I'm Paulina Ski today. Yes, you're not very well. No. Just why we're a little bit late. Yes. Blame Helen. Blame me. <laughs> What's going on? You sound uh, like you've got the cold. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it seems a little bit worse than a cold. Oh, it would be. Yeah, because I can power through a cold. No problem. Mm. I've got this cough that just won't quit. And it's quite painful. And I'm getting tired very quickly. Mm. And having to catch my breath quite a bit. It kind of feels like pneumonia. So that's what, I, that's what I'm thinking. But it's not COVID. No. Because I took the test and it said no COVID. So I'm, I'm taking it at its word. That it's no COVID. Yeah, I, I was ill-trusting of the, the test that I took the other week. It just seemed, it just seemed too easy. Right. It just seemed too easy an answer to give. Right. And but why would it lie? Why would it lie? Why would it lie? Why would it Why lie? would the government lie to you, Helen? <laughs> Don't get me started. I feel like I'm going to be <laughs> editing out quite a few coughs. Yes, probably. this week's episode. Yes. I, I'm... I'm I'm choosing to blame the woman I was sitting next to at Tootsie on Tuesday. Oh, you went to see Tootsie the Musical? Yes. Stella and I went to see Tootsie the Musical. I didn't go. You didn't. I wasn't invited. I didn't think you'd want to see it. You thought, right. Still, it's nice to be invited to this. (laughs) So that was was fun, but it was... It was the opening night of the musical, oh, it was? and it was also the opening night of the season. Oh, I didn't realize it was a premiere. So, um, well, it's been playing on Broadway for a while now. Um, it is Broadway. a fairly, it is a fairly new musical. I think it just started this year mm. on Broadway. Broadway, but, but in Grand Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> this was its. This was its. Uh, premiere and the premiere of the season so there was a lot more people than I expected on a Tuesday night so I was much closer to the woman sitting next to me who was bragging to her friend that she once met Lin-Manuel Miranda then well you should have told her my story how I I also met Lin-Manuel Miranda I don't talk to strangers (laughs) or at least it was in the same room as me right albeit a few hundred feet away Right, yes. And not directly talking to me. But see, this is this is my this is my thing. It's kinda like He heard me shout though, I'm sure of that. 
lots of people have met Lin-Manuel Miranda. He mm. lives in New York City. You bump into people, famous people in New York City all the time. You do? If you walk around long enough. So it's like living in L.A., it becomes not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But she was coughing a little bit and she was very close to me. The closest any stranger has been to me since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm choosing to blame her. Although it could have been all sorts of things. I worked in concessions at the last home football game last night. Well, that isn't what done it. No. Cause, cause you, I was already starting. I was thinking if it wasn't that lady, it was me last week. Yeah, possible. Because I was feeling under the weather last week. And also, we have a kid who's had a cough on and off for quite some time, who also now has a fractured pelvis. So <laughs> Not from the cough. He's just fallied apart all over the place. Right. So, that's fun. I've fallen, and I can't get up! We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. Poor Mrs. Fletcher. Poor Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, poor She's Mrs. Fletcher. Dead now. She's dead. She's dead now. There ain't no getting up now, Mrs. Fletcher. Nope. Nope. She's deed. Poor Angela Lansbury. Do you know, she she moved her family to Ireland to get away from Charles Manson. Because <laughs> Charles Manson was uh, attempting to groom her daughter and to get her to steal money and, and, and food from her mom and everything. Because, you know, that's what he did. He went after like celebrities, children and stuff. You know, giving them the attention that their parents, that he assumed their parents weren't giving them. She got into Ireland on a Manson visa. Yes. I feel like there's other podcasts available for that kind of chit-chat. That's true. That's true, but still. Angela Lansbury, <laughs> legend. Too bad she was never on Corey. Yeah, otherwise it would give us reason to talk about her. Right, yes. Shall we pray over with you? Oh, how was your week? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. Give us some of that helter skelter, Corey News. <laughs> Congrats to Paddy Beaver. Well done, Paddy. Yes, in his NTA win of the Rising Star Award. We were all shouting, fuck off in solidarity. <laughs> Just like Millie. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which I loved. and And yet somehow she's she's been called to give an answer for swearing out of shut up people <laughs> and fuck off indeed fuck off in all the ways those two words can be put together he was up against a number of people from the show Heartstopper, which i know nothing absolutely nothing about but you may know charitra chandran who plays edwina sharma on the bridgerton Oh yeah! See, I haven't really watched the second season of Bridgerton. I... She was up. She was up for it as well. Wow! But he was absolutely gobsmacked and adorable when yes. he won the award. It was like I don't think he was expecting it. No, he wasn't. So he didn't have anything prepared. So he kind of winged stum- it. Stumbled through a little acceptance speech in which he thanked everybody and did so very, very graciously and and adorably. Mm. And then uh, when they, they went off the stage, the the host said, he just said to me, what do I do now? <laughs> this is his first acting gig. Yes. yes. He's doing really, really well for himself. I'm he really is. pleased he for is. him. Out of, and out of all the awards, I think that was, that that was, was all, that, Corey. all that Corey picked up. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe fewer f- floating guns in the future. <laughs> maybe. 
Well done again to Paddy. Yes. Rob Mallard has reported that his essential tremor has gotten worse as he ages and that he's had to adapt, but the cast and crew have been very supportive. Apparently it's now not just in his hands, but in his arms and in his neck as well. So oh, weird. that may be, well, it's, it's, it's a progressive disease. I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's something like what, um, the, what Michael J. Fox has. That's Parkinson's, isn't Which it? Which is Parkinson's. Well, I don't know if... I, I'm assuming essential tremor is similar, not as bad, but similar. Well, I used to work with a guy that had it. Uh-huh. And Parkinson's or essential tremor? Essential tremor. Uh-huh. And he... He he had a, a, a reasonably chirpy outlook on right. the whole thing because it meant they never had to go to get drinks from the vending machine. Right. And he made a big deal about going once and it was it was a disaster right as you can imagine but yes he kind of played up in it and he had a sense of humor about, yeah, sense of humor thing, about it right. exactly yeah but it must be must be horrible yeah it must be very difficult for someone who has to play someone without that yeah he was okay so long as his hand was touching something so so long as he's right grounded in some grounded, way right exactly but when it was just hovering and right my day not hovering but you know raised off something that right. was when it became really quite pronounced so you couldn't tell from his writing or anything like that right but you could certainly tell when he went for drinks yeah that one time <laughs> that one time yeah so you know we we wish all the best for yeah, Rob absolutely and, you know what a horrible thing absolutely apparently when he was first diagnosed when he was quite young he was like 14 when he was diagnosed mm-hmm. you know they kind of played it off saying oh well you're young and you'll grow out of it it'll be okay and right. everything else you know kind of like the many times my doctors have told me, oh, you're young, it's okay. Oh, wait, You'll never mind, never mind, you do have cancer. Right. Yeah. Doctors, man. Still. And finally, Simon actor Alex Bain announced his engagement to Molly Lockwood. He actually proposed last October, but was able to keep it a secret until now, which is not an easy thing to do for, for actors on a very small island. So mazel tov to him. Mazel tov indeed. Yes. And that's Corey News. Oh, how purely Corey News. Oh. You did a fine job, Helen. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. I would say that's perhaps the best Corey News that you've done ever. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> no, I was halfway through that sentence thinking there's no really a good way of finishing that. No. So what I'm going to do now is quickly move on to World Podcast for Coffee. Thanks to Harry Kiwi. Thank you. That's uh, hilarious, by the way. <laughs> Is that Dev? Is Dev sending this coffee money? <laughs> they write, given I've thoroughly enjoyed all 223 episodes of the Talk of the Street, Aww. I thought shouting you both a coffee was well overdue. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, Harry Kiwi. And thank you to John Giovanacci. Yay! He says, keep up the good work, Helen and Gavin. Here's a little something towards your charity of the month. Hope you get a good amount for this worthy cause. Oh, Cheers. that's right, because we are donating to breast cancer or something this week, this month. <laughs> the Research Foundation. Yes. Yeah, bcrf.org. Yes. Thank you, John, and thank you, Harry Kiwi, for your uh, generous donations this this week. Like Helen said, we're donating this to uh, Breast Cancer Research Foundation or Breast Cancer Thingy. 
Yes. As I think you've described <laughs> it. Um, we're going to match that up to like a couple of hundred bucks. Right. And I'm going to donate it through my work who match the donation and then BCRF themselves match a donation as well. So, oh, wow. So the $15 that have been donated this week will be $30, will be $60, will be $120 that goes to wow. breast cancer research. So that's fantastic. That's pretty amazing. So thank you again to Harry Kiwi and John Giovinacci. If you want to join in and buy us next week's coffee, which for the whole month of October will be going to BCRF, you can do so by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative. Yes, as we will. As will BCRF. Yes. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm drinking mint tea out of my billionaire tears cup. And I'm drinking Canada Dry. Oi, Canada Dry. Oi. I'm drinking that. Canada Dry. It's not Verner's anymore. You I drink. I did you really drink like, through the burners? I did. I powered through it. But, powered through. But this is my ginger ale of choice now. Yes. Strange how your tastes change, isn't it? I'm into pumpkin spice and cinnamon now. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk and it? And cherry coke. You might even actually like musicals now. <laughs> Let's not go too far. <laughs> and now, this. Forgot to turn it up from last week. Oh. Oops, daisy. Nobody will notice if I don't talk about it. Nobody will notice. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh dear. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Paul Newman's eyes. Ah, is there somebody talking about Stu's eyes? That's right. This was Johnny assessing what he had going for him. Two lovely daughters. A bit of coin in the bank. And Paul Newman's eyes. He does not have Paul Newman's <laughs> eyes. He certainly does not. No, no. Paul Hollywood has Paul Newman's eyes. Those lovely baby blues. Oh, so gorgeous. I was Gavin and you were flummoxed at my intentions to kick Gail when she was down. Yes. Shame know. on you, sure. kicking Gail. Gail, who was used in a letterboxed meme this week. She was. Now, Letterbox is a global company. It is. <laughs> And chose a picture of Gail looking at her laptop. Right. To make a joke about going to check out a movie on Letterboxd and realising that you've already seen it. Right. Good news, everyone. Helen's breathing was better. That was last year. Yeah. And our COVID lockdown was over. For now. For now. Why were we under lockdown? Was this when Stella Stella had COVID? COVID, Yes. And then we spent a good few minutes discussing my skin complaints. Remember yes, I had which, that rush. which turned out to be strap. <laughs> We've covered this. We've covered this <laughs> sufficiently, I think. Yeah. Abby returns to Weatherfield and she isn't just pleased to see Kev. That really is a gun in her pocket and she plots revenge. Zidane quickly has to come to terms with what's involved in laundering money but discovers that Yasmin is reluctant to hand over the books quite that easy. After Dev develops an interest in Natasha, Bernie provides him with some unwanted assistance that blows any immediate chance he has with either woman. A handily placed card on a bunch of flowers finally spells out that Sinkhole Leo's true intentions are not towards Daisy. Rather, he has his sights set on Jenny instead. Ah, Sinkhole Leo. Ah, we hardly knew ye. We really didn't. James and Michael find out that the ordering of a baked potato at Roy's can be more challenging and bizarre than they could have imagined. Foiled by Rita in his attempts to get info on Sharon, Imran decides that he can no longer live a lie and comes clean to Toya about his recent betrayal. (gasps) 
Naveed's shingles have cleared up. Craig disappears into a hedge. And Elsie smiles. Aww. Poor Elsie. Elsie. Our moment of the week was Toya telling Imran that he was banking on her forgiveness and our boring moment of the week was Zidane's stupidity about how to launder money. And that was Talk of the Street and Coronation Street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Sure, why not? A first storyline this afternoon. We're recording this on a Saturday afternoon. I know, it's weird. Which never happens. 4.46 Eastern Standard Time. Is summer dumping. Summer dumping had me a blast. I thought it was going to be summer dumps makes me feel fine. Blowing through the chasms of my mind. My dumps, my dumps, my lovely summer dumps. <laughs> One of those. On Monday, Paul bumps into Todd and appraises him of the punch to the face he received from Arnold last week. Paul doesn't want him anywhere near summer, who again has enough of her own drama without anyone else's, and Todd sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. Mm. Meanwhile, at Billy's, Arnold is ready to go back home to check on his dad, but Billy and Summer talk him round. Later, though, he has 38 missed calls from his dad, so once again, he's ready to go round to see him and also get a fresh pair of eyes. Thinking that his alky dad is drunk and potentially violent, Billy and Todd offer to go round in his stead, which is such a bad idea, everyone agrees to it. Yes. And while they're gone, Paul shows up to be an asshole again when he spots that Aaron hasn't left. Aaron reacts angrily and Paul threatens to go to the police again, so Summer intervenes and tells Paul to go fuck off yes. and have a word with himself. Yes. Then Billy and Todd get home. Aaron's dad was in a sweary mood. Aaron again wants to go home, but again... And they, they were... don't seem to have brought him any clothes. <laughs> no, they're... <laughs> There were no wise. There's nothing in their hands. No. Again, everyone talks him out of it. Summer is worried that Aaron's dad will kick fuck out of Aaron and Todd thinks it's best to let him sleep it off or something. Right. Later, Billy has made the worst sandwiches I've ever seen in my life. But Summer and Aaron don't want his shitty sandwiches. But then there's a <laughs> buzz at the door and Billy lets them up. It's the police. Uh-oh. And Aaron and Summer assume that Paul has grassed them up, but instead, though, they're there to advise Aaron, because they know he's at Summer's because stuff, that his house was on fire, and now his dad is in the hospital. Uh-oh. Do you know that music just gets better boop, and better boop, with boop, each boop, listen? Boop, boop, boop. It's so much better than the... The YouTube's oh, this music. One? Oh, no. Don't play it. <laughs> At the hospital, a doctor tells Aaron, Summer and Billy that he's going to be okay, but boy, oh boy, he was helicoptered out of his wheelbarrow when they came in and Aaron goes to see him and sits by his bed and when he wakes up, Aaron says that he thought he was never going to open his eyes again and Aaron's dad sadly wishes that he had died. Right, and they're they are very good. The doctor is very good at explaining that the problem isn't like third degree burns it's smoke inhalation mm -hmm. so they didn't have to cop up the money for expensive third degree burn makeup on Aaron's dad yeah or bandages <laughs> or even little patches of ash or smoke or anything right yeah he looked he looked remarkably well yes considering a little too well they're not giving him oxygen no. Which is something that you would be giving someone who had smoke inhalation, I would assume. 
I just liked the fact that he called 38 times and Aaron didn't answer. Right. That's a, that's a lot of calls when your house mm. is on fire, right? Yeah, well, it, some of those calls were from before his house was on fire. Because remember, some of those calls were from before Billy and Todd went over there. And mm. the house was not on fire when Billy and Todd were there. Well, Because I Billy would hope that there. Billy and Todd noticed. I don't know that they went. They didn't come back with any wife fronts. That's true. The conspiracies we could weave. Back home, Aaron has told someone about his suicidal dad and he's doing his usual of being angry at her for stuff that has nothing to do with her. He tells her a story about his dad turning up to school to borrow money from him after he'd pissed his pants. And he decides that he can't do this anymore and packs. He tells her that he's going home. His dad needs him more than she does. So he's breaking up with her again, again, again. Again and again. Saying that she's better off without him. Well, that's what Paul said. On Wednesday, Summer sees Aaron outside the medical centre. He's there to see Gadass about his dad, but Gadass has just given him some leaflets. What use is that? Well, maybe read the fucking leaflets. Right, seriously. Summer says that he doesn't have to choose between her and his dad. Look, Summer, just back off and respect my wishes. You're dumped, all right? All says right. Aaron. Until Addy, next week. And Addy sees this happen and offers to buy Summer a coffee. And in Nina's roles, Summer complains that she can't believe that Aaron has dumped her just like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I felt the same way when Kayla left after I was fucking shot, says Addy. Right, yeah. Back at the flat, Summer sees that there are two strangers sitting there who she assumes must be more parents. But no, says Billy, this is Mike and Esther. Oh. They're there helping out at the clothes swap next week. And Billy has volunteered Summer's time to help out. Summer is oddly okay with this. Mike and Esther leave and Billy reveals that he's counselling them through a tough time, which is probably an unethical thing for him to share with her. Never mind, this will help you get over Aaron, he says. I have no intention of getting over him, she says. She's going to bide her time and wait for him to change his mind and then take her back. Gulp, says Billy, lightheartedly. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I think this is something that Billy does to Summer all the time, isn't it? Volunteer her for for charitable things mm-hmm. because that's his job this has happened before yeah right it's nice to see him actually doing his job counseling to people doing marriage counseling which is kind of hilarious for billy to be doing <laughs> marriage counseling but never mind it's like when catholic priests give marriage counseling what does a catholic priest know about marriage <laughs> oh there are books oh there, oh, there are books are there books and videos lots and lots of videos <laughs> lots and lots of videos but we assume it's marriage counselling. Right. Yeah. It could be it could be drugs counselling, which he actually does know something about. It's true. Yeah, so we go through the little Aaron slash summer dumping the other one merry go round another time. Is it this I think is the fourth time that one of them has broken up with the other one. And I think he's broken up with her more. It's as bad as Eileen and the Undertaker. No, it's worse. It's worse than that. It's worse. Because that was at least spread over a, right. a reasonable length of time. This has been, feels like it's all happened in the last couple of months. Yes. I'm sick to the back teeth with us. Me too. With us to and fro Yes. I'm, I'm assuming that that ends with their next horrible storyline, which will be coming up in a few weeks. Yeah, I kind of, and we're not going to talk about no, it. No, we're not going to talk about but it. But I did see a, a spoiler for this and... It is perhaps the worst thing that I, <laughs> I think I could have read to do with this storyline. Right. And I'm going to keep an open mind about it. 
Sure. Oh. But it just sounds horrible. Absolutely dreadful. Yeah. I did like the little scene where Paul was getting the crisps out of the machine. Yes. Yes, I liked that where he like <laughs> jujitsu. He did chips. some karate kid shit on it, didn't he? Yeah. See, I did think that after everything that's happened recently, like we think Leo dying and I don't think either one of us was expecting that or had read anything about uh, that potentially happened. I do try and avoid spoilers. such spoilers. You happen upon them occasionally as you're doing the, the Corey News stuff. But, Correct. Um, when he's when he's looking at that vending machine, I thought, are they really going to pull the rug from under us and that vending machine is going to topple over and crush him? Because that has happened. Death by vending machine. Those are heavy things. They are heavy. But I was reading about death by elevator earlier this week, and that's even more disconcerting. Oh, what by them plunging? Because they don't normally plunge like that because they've got brakes on them. And stuff. Right. Well, people getting trapped in the elevator, and then the elevator going up with their head inside and their body Ooh. outside, and then people getting stuck in the elevator with a decapitated head. That's awkward, isn't it? Yes. Oh, where to look? I could, I it's could, worse than farting, certainly. I, I could hear the, the Cory writers taking notes <laughs> as I speak. <laughs> and does all this happen in a sinkhole? Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> I think, well, at least one was in a hospital. It was a oh, doctor. The irony. Oh, really? Yeah. Was his name Otis? No. No, damn it. Oh well. Oh well. Anyway. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of just. I, I hate the the to and fro with this. Eh. It's just. It's it's just so annoying, and it just we've said so many times over so many episodes. Just the throwing of the stuff at summer, just it makes her character unsympathetic, and very much so. And they're I just continually care. doubling down on this do by care. giving more and more because it was the. It was the Daniel stuff and it was the Oxford stuff and, and it was, it was the, the eating disorder stuff. stuff and the diabetes stuff right. and the, this boyfriend now. And, uh, I do have to awful. say, at least the words, at least, except for that one bit where Paul was mad that she didn't get fitted for her thing, mm-hmm. there was no reference to diabetes right, and no reference to Oxford. And no reference to eating disorders. Yeah. They seem to have forgotten about the eating disorder. They don't mention the eating disorder very often it's, it's, anymore. It's a fleeting reference if it does yes. happen. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to the next one, which is racist to the max. <laughs> on Monday, at number eight, David is cleaning ahead of Mrs. Crawshaw's visit later because headmasters now do home visits, apparently. Apparently. He's pissed that he's the only one doing any work, given that Maria is off saving fucking refugees. And Max scolds him, telling him, do you realise how that sounds? And refugees are cool as biscuits. Right. And also, Shona is very busy in the kitchen, wiping down counters and hiding her baby bump, at least in this scene. <laughs> yes. Later in Nina's roles, Shona is fussing over Darian with fancy toasties. We meet Darian. He's yes. A, he's a delight. He is delightful. Max explains about his assignment and how he needs Darian's input. Maria is very impressed at how welcoming Max has been. And then Daniel shows up and overhears Max and Darian talking about going to Weddy High. And Daniel is stunned for a minute as he wonders if this has any bearing whatsoever on why he quit his post there. No, I think it checks out. He's fine. 
Back home, Crawshaw tells David and Shona that despite his improved behaviour and how he hasn't tried to rape anyone recently, Max won't be invited back to Weddy High. There's simply no places available for him. Correct. Which is what happened with Hope, wasn't it? That there were no spots available. Is this just a an excuse they throw at people with problem children? Oh, I'm sorry, we just don't have any room. I think it can be used as that. Yes. Brian, I think, managed to pull some strings for Hope, didn't he? Or yes, he, he, he did. said that he could... Uh, yeah, this is a. Um, it's an interesting point, though. He left, or he was excluded, and there's no such thing as him having a place. He doesn't have a place. It's not right. that, that he goes, and that seat is going to be left vacant. Correct. Just on the off chance that he goes back to it. That's not how these things work. However, what happens if somebody moves into the area and there's no room in the schools for their children? Then they have to go to another school. That's so bizarre to me. Yeah, it's like catchment areas and things. And If you live in such and such of a postcode, I think you're guaranteed a place right. at, at a school, but it might not necessarily be your nearest one. So there was news articles and stuff about families getting split up because the papers always manage to find a set of twins that this affects. Right, You've got of one course. twin going to one school, one twin one going, going to another. Because we have a... A whole batch of twins just sitting off at the side that can be pulled out and used when when needed to emphasize a, a news story and make I, it sound worse than it is. I blame in I blame in Pierce vitro. Morgan? Yeah. In vitro fertilization. And Pierce Morgan. Mm. I'd rather just not hear his name, please. Max gets home and is scunnered to hear this, saying that he can't go back to the pupil referral unit. David promises to speak to Maria to see if she can do anything after early on bitching behind her back. Max wants to go back to where the high. That's where all his mates are. Mates like... Liam? That's where all his mates are. Yeah. Later in Nina's roles, Darren's hanging out with Maria, talking about being a refugee. David and Max come in looking for a word with Maria but learn that Darian will be starting at Wendy High soon and Max is furious about this, calling Darian no friend of his and accusing him of stealing his place. He didn't have a place. They took her germs! They took her They took her germs! He storms off before he can say anything about sending them all back. Back home and Max's mood has not lightened. He accuses Maria of being a virtue signaller, which is only who is only interested in stuff if it makes her look good, like giving stinking refugees his school placement. David and Shona are shocked, but Max doesn't care and runs up the stairs just like the old Max used to do. On Wednesday, Maria has been reading the Weather Gazette article about her work with the refugees, and it seems like it's attracting a lot of comments. Gary thinks there are better places to get constructive criticism, like the talk of the street on an official Coronation Street Catch-Up podcast. That's correct. We like what Maria is doing, by the way. Yeah. We don't think it's virtue signaling. It's her, literally her job. Literally her job. It is literally her job mm. as a counsellor. Right. But later on in Nina's roles, Maria reveals to David that her troll is back a trolling. She shows David her phone and someone called Sadboy55 has called Maria a virtue signaller and posted the address of her place of work in the comments. Gulp, says David. And he goes home and he asks Max for a shot of his laptop for some barber business and Max tells him to bolt. And when David insists, Max tells him to fuck off. He needs to do his homework and he runs up the stairs again, just like Max version 1.0. Yes. So David goes back to Nina's roles and it's got worse. Sadboy55 has now proper doxed Maria and posted her home address. 
David goes and stage whispers to Shona at the counter, revealing his suspicions that it's Max that's behind this. And after all that bother with the date rape drug and Amy, he can't let this slide again. Right. David's learned his lesson, so it seems. Yes. Yeah. Or or, or all the other times, like when when Max assaulted his great grandmother. Yeah. And and stole a wallet and and stuff. So David sneaks back home and snatches the laptop from Max, who is very keen for David not to look at it because he's on the Wedding Gazette page. David accuses him of being sad boy 55 and trolling Maria. Max denies it, sarcastically thanks David for having his back and then storms out. Shona tells David that his proof is pretty loose and begs him not to do anything rash. But when Max gets home, the cops are there and they take him down to the station on suspicion of posting death threats they confiscate his electronics. Yeah, it's hilarious because Max and we assume that the police are there for another storyline. Yeah. He needs... Yeah, and it's quite nice how that, how that overlapped. Worked. Yeah, it? I liked that. It did mean that Homeless Stu had to run. And he had to run by Max. Yes. But yeah, I did like the, the little crossover. Yes. Max needs an appropriate adult with him, but he tells David to go fuck himself. So Shona goes with him. And Maria sees the police car driving off and asks what's been going on. And David explains that he thinks he's just found out who Sad Boy 55 is. Right. It were Max. Now, at this point, I'm worried that David is way off on this. Right. And But it's also kind of funny that that Max has the, the balls to act like it's not within his wheelhouse to have done this. And to be so sarcastic with his dad when he's done so many shitty things and illegal things in the past. It's like he's deliberately acting as shady as he can possibly be right, to, yeah. to make David think To this. wind David up. No, you can't see my laptop. Oh, I'm looking at the Weather Gazette article. And Shona and Maria both being like, oh, that doesn't sound like Max. It absolutely sounds like yeah, Max. Which part of this doesn't sound like Max? <laughs> It's got Max written, written all, all over, over it. it, right? The only thing that's that's going in his favour is that he's been relatively well behaved recently. Yes, and been on the receiving end of some of the bullying, the bullying and bad behaviour right, that yes. he's been handing out to other people. So on Friday, David is in the doghouse at number eight. Shona, who was in the interview room with Max, reckons that he's innocent. And after everything that's happened, David can't be so sure and seems to be hoping that the police will find some evidence on those electronics and vindicate this this decision has to grass his son up. Right. Or Max up. Later, Gail is bringing in the shopping and tells Max that she believes him. She doesn't think he'd do something so awful to Maria. <laughs> Amy and Daniel? Sure, but not Maria. David comes in and doubles down on his allegations just as the cops phone to let them know that they're on their way wanting to speak to all of them, not you, Gail. <laughs> and then the police arrive and announce that Max has been released without charge, kind of. He's off. He's, he's got away right. with it. Well, whatever. Right. They didn't find any evidence on his laptop or phone. Right. Which does not necessarily mean that it wasn't him. It just means he was pretty good at covering up his tracks. Right. Or that he, he used another device. Yep. Like so, he doesn't have access to devices at school or at the library or, you know. Yeah, but Max is lapping this up, gets his devices back and rushes back upstairs again. And the cops leave, pointing out that David has some splaining to do here. Gail offers to put on four in a bed to cheer David up. That's like a... Oh, it's hilarious. 
Did you get that? There's mm-hmm. a thing you, you, yes, get, you, you get. Yes, I've, you I've seen, seen it before. Oh, okay. Yeah. Telling him that Max will forgive him one day. So he finally does the right thing. Mm-hmm. Behaves so and, in the right way. Right. And calls the police. And it just so happens that he does that in the one thing that Max isn't guilty of. And yet he's been guilty of so many other things. What he should have said to him when he was looking for the laptop, he says, look, I'm really worried that you're the one that's been behind this trolling and docks in the Maria. Right. And I want to see your laptop to prove that you're not. Right. But what you're doing here by your behaviour and your reaction to it is making me suspicious that you really are behind it. Yeah. But he didn't do it that way. No. He did it by trying to, oh, I'm trying to do Barbara business and be all secretive about it. Right. Because if he'd explained it that way, that would have put Max in a very delicate position about letting right. David not see what's on his laptop is going to right. is going to give off a very poor um poor appearance to his right his behaviour. So but I'm I think I'm with you and what you were hinting at there was that this is all there's a, a wee double bluff I think going on here that that it was far too obvious this week that Max wasn't behind it. Right. That it's going to transpire in the next week or the week after that he really was. <coughs> right. Because who else could it be? You know, maybe that guy that put a tracker on her. Well, that was all dealt with. Then he he got caught. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he can't still be doxing her. That's all I can think of. The timing of this and the, the nature of the, the trolling, I think it, it really and has to be. And the use of the words virtue signaling. Yeah. Yeah, it just stands out. It's like a beacon. Right. right? But then again, it stood out as a beacon to David and he was... Apparently way off. Right. Who knows? I'm a little I'm a little tired of all this internet trolling on Maria in her position as a counsellor. Mm. We never got this with Sally. People weren't trying to sleep with Sally and put trackers on her and dox her. No, but it did and successfully make her commit fraud right yeah but that was one guy that's all it takes right but there wasn't like all this internet trolling and stuff and abuse certainly there's got to be somebody out there who likes what maria is doing and is supportive well i'm going to fold my arms and look at you condescendingly here and say i think politics have changed a little bit since sally was counselor don't you think so i mean (laughs) It wasn't that long ago that Sally was in politics. Yeah, a few years ago. You know, and there was internet trolling back then too. I, I just I just feel like they're doing their damnedest to make it seem like Maria's not very good at her job. But this And time, we're not seeing anything successful that Maria is doing. We're just seeing her constantly being trolled. But this time she has been, or she's doing the right thing. She's doing right. good stuff and she's not letting them get on top of her now. Yeah, except they have revealed her address, which, you know, could be dangerous to anybody going to Maria's address and trying to hurt her or shout abuse at her because she lives with Gary, who's a murderer. (laughs) Right. And he knows how to get away with it. Right. It takes a few years, but eventually it all works out. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't want you wouldn't want to make Gary mad. If it feels like I would rather see Maria finally getting a good storyline out of being a counselor. Yeah, I I don't know that this is 
that that's the important part of this. I think the important part of this is some of the very, very questionable things and views that Max was exposing, I think it was really my takeaway from this story. Right, and how, and how his switch was flipped so quickly once... You know, because he was very cool with the with a, a refugee from Iraq, and then all of a sudden, when it affected him, or when he took it to have affected him, all of a sudden it's a bad thing. Yeah, he's chastising David for saying something that could be interpreted right. as and being questionable. And that was good that he chastised David because David was absolutely in the wrong, acting like, "Oh, why do I have to do everything?" You know, while Maria's traipsing around playing counselor, she's not playing counselor. She is the counselor. Right. You know, and that's very, it's very misogynistic the way that David talks about Maria David being. David's misogynistic? Surely not. Seeing so, being the counselor. Racist. You know, so it, it, it is kind of interesting to see, to see that because I think that's, that's kind of. What happens for a lot of people who espouse those kinds of views? Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've been knocked back at least once in a way that they perceive is the result of something that an immigrant or a refugee or a person of color has done, and that has colored their whole their whole perspective of a whole race yeah. of people. I did like Max, not Max, I did like David and Shona's reaction to what Max was saying because it was getting very close to why don't they all just go home. Right. That That's the road where the ticker gerbs right. goes to. Right. That, that's further a little bit further down the road, right. around the corner. I, th- I guess what interests me about this is that Max is now an established <coughs> character in in the show where when this has been happening to James and Michael more recently, it's always been a disposable character who's been saying these things or having these views. Right. It's been a disposable character that was homophobic to James. It was a disposable police officer who was uh, racially profiling them and stuff like that. It's always characters that you can deal with and then put away. Right. This time, it's it's the refugee who is disposable and can be put away. But it's Max's views that i think that linger because he's presumably not disposable he's just one right rising star don't think he's going anywhere right so we have right. a character that is in the middle of a storyline in the center of a storyline here who is who has expressed some questionable views in the right. last week and does he build on that or is or do we just forget that it ever happened and I, i'm yeah i'm hoping I'm afraid that, that i'm that hoping hope, hope, hoping that we're not going to go down the let's just forget it ever happened because we, well, we did that all this with, for the course well we did all this with craig where he was covering up and then it looked like he was going to be back in the the racist police officer and become <laughs> complicit in all that and then he had a come to jesus moment about it and and distance himself from that and it I thought it was potentially going to be an interesting decision to have Craig be a, a racist cop. Now, is it maybe that Max is going to be... He's still a dirty cop. Still a dirty cop. And, yet, and let's never forget that. And and yet the show has kind of forgotten that. We will never forget that. We will never forget. <laughs> as as long like as we there's will never breath forget, in my body. We will never forget his OCD. 
Right. And the, the show remembers that fleetingly again. Right, yeah, only when it's but, convenient. But let's let's examine that, because disposable cartridge you can push away and you don't have to answer any questions or 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 present any solutions. But but maybe maybe we do that with Max this time. Right. And I mean this is very similar to Max's views on women as well, because it wasn't really until he got caught that he realized that maybe giving somebody a date rape drug is not a good idea. It, right. it, you know, because with the whole upskirting thing, he's like, well, I'm not hurting anyone. It's not me doing it. I'm just sharing it. And that's yeah. fine. It's yeah. like, it's not fine. Mm. You shouldn't be sharing it. Yeah. It seems very switched on in a lot of ways and, and, and not in some others that are quite important. Right. Yeah. Again, a, He's fine until it affects him. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he's misogynistic and racist and stuff. You know, here he was supporting Maria, but now he thinks Maria is virtue signaling and is worthless. Right. Here he was supporting the refugee and now the refugee's stolen his placement. Right. Which I'm sure is not the case. I'm sure before the refugee even hit... He doesn't have a place. He was excluded from that place. Right. And I'm sure that... That the young man, before he even hit British soil, had a place (laughs) in that school. I'm I'm sure that was arranged well before they said, hey, let's let's try to get Max back into Welly High. Tell you something about that diary, though. Do you like some coffee with your sugar? Jeez. It's also interesting to me, I think, how this story would be different if, if Darian was from Ukraine rather than Iraq because we'd still have you know why are refugees here but Mm. we would be taking the race element out of it so you think that's a good thing or a bad thing I don't know it makes it a different thing right I think I think it was a choice that was made yeah you know I don't think they want to get close to Ukraine just now, hmm. while it's, it's still going hot. on, right? Yeah, just too hot. Too hot. Too hot to handle. Too cold to hold. Talking of which, let's move on to our next storyline this afternoon, which is Ken-splaining. <laughs> on Monday, in Nina's Rolls, Wendy has two tickets for Paradise. No, for mansplaining Rumpelstiltskin for Ken's birthday. For no good, re- good reason, this is at the Bistro today. Then Mary turns up and demands Ken's time to go through the script changes Wouldn't Ken already have tickets to something like that? I would have thought so. <laughs> <coughs> the meet with Mary is taken back to number one, which Mary appreciates as it's out of the sight of Wendy's jealous eyes. Mary also has the idea of doing a rap, just well, like that Hamilton, no. which was suggested by Tracy, yes. who just wanted to noise her dad up because right. Tracy. And, and we get our second Lin-Manuel Miranda mention of the podcast because we're usually at four by now <laughs> they kind of reduce him to a rapper and i don't think anybody including lin-manuel miranda himself would say that he's a rapper he raps on stage in character but that does not make him a rapper oh if he raps he's a rapper if he's up there playing guitar you wouldn't say that he's not a guitarist right but he's like He's a writer and a producer and a director. I think all of those things 
which he does much more of than rapping. Yeah, but this is for the joke of the rapping. Right, yeah. So for the purposes of that, he's a rapper. Right, but it, it, right, yeah. But again, you know, making a joke out of someone whose who's life is so much more than just this one aspect. Ah, kind of offensive. It. Well, you know me. I'm, I'm kind of against British humor at the moment. Right. So Mary raps, and it goes on for a bit. Then Ken gets a text from Wendy that he pretends is from Daniel making an urgent babysitting request and he dashes off and the audience says thank you. But Mary isn't fooled for a moment because she sees the, the phone and she sees who it's really from. What? In the rovers with Brian and Tracy, Mary explains that Ken blew her off, lied to her face, saying he was meeting Daniel when he was really meeting she who will not be named. WC. Or WFC, really. Wendy Flaming Crozier. Even though it's Papadopoulos now, which Brian points out. My dad was William Cochran Broom. So that's WC Broom. Yeah. His nickname apparently at school was Lavy Brush. WC Broom. A broom for a WC. That makes sense. This boils Tracy's piss and she storms off to find her dad. At the bistro, Persephone Braxton is about to start her talk on her Rumpelstiltskin thing. Persephone Braxton. Mm-hmm. It's basically an observation piece that suggests Grimm's fairy tales were all about damsels in distress whose stories end up with them getting hitched and their mothers have usually died giving birth to them and Ken is sitting there lapping it up. Yes, also, he is. Also, Daniel and Daisy are there for that. Right. And Ken tells them that he's involved sexually with Wendy and Daniel and Daisy give their approval. Right. After the talk, Ken points out that the term fairy tales was coined by a woman, Countess... Dulnoy, who wrote stories with powerful female protagonists. So fairy tales actually were quite progressive. And then he goes on to say that he wasn't mansplaining, but only because he was kensplaining. Right. Tracy Burson at this calls her dad a geriatric <laughs> gigolo and Wendy a whorebag and warns all feminists in the audience to get their mace sprays ready just in case Ken's in a frisky mood. Daniel Frog marches her out of the bistro. <coughs> Like Tracy couldn't break Daniel in two if she really wanted to. That's true. It was... Pick your moments, Tracy. Because it's obvious that they're like at a at a show, at it's a presentation. A yeah, there's a thing going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she's doing more to embarrass herself than anybody else. And also we don't get to hear Persephone's answer to Ken's sort of question. Right. Although it wasn't... He did that thing that I hate when people do when you have question and answer time and their question tends to just be a statement to prove how smart they are. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. Right. It yeah. was to prove that he knew who the countess was. Right, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't bring up, you know, something like Anne Sexton's poems in the 70s about this sort of thing and how fairy tales were misogynistic and all about women dying and there is no happily ever after. Was that a question? No. Metamorphosis, I believe. On the way home, Wendy offers to take a step back if it makes his life easier, but Ken isn't interested in humouring Tracy or bending to her demands. And later in the rovers, Tracy has another go at the pair of them, accusing them of spitting on Deirdre's grave, and then accuses Daniel of jumping on Bethany five seconds after Sinead died, which I quite enjoyed. She right. admits, it makes things uncomfortable for her Daisy, though. Mm-hmm. She admits that she misses her mum, and Ken says that he misses her too, but he says that he's lonely, and he asks Tracy to be okay with his relationship with Wendy Flaming Crozier. 
On Wednesday, number one, Tracy announces that she's decided to accept the fact that Ken is involved sexually with Wendy. And to prove it, she offers to cook them both lunch. I don't think anybody says anything about sexual. Uh, just just uh, being uh, together. Just being in a relationship. Nobody says sexually. I've been saying this for like two weeks now, waiting for you to pick me up on it. And it's finally happened. Well, you know... I can only pretend to ignore it for so long. Ken is touched. But not like but that. But not like that. But at lunchtime, Trace reveals that she's cooked Deirdre's signature, signature dish. Stuffed marrow. A stuffed marrow. It now, looks fucking boofing. A marrow. Mm-hmm. To me, that would be like bone marrow. But that's not what that is, is it? No, it's, it's like a... Yeah, it's like a big courgette or zucchini. Okay, so like an eggplant then. Yeah, a white-fleshed, green-skinned gourd, which is eaten as a vegetable, according to Google. Fascinating. Yeah, it kind of looks a little burnt and steamy, and it doesn't look like it's been seasoned at all. But then again, they are in the United Kingdom, so... (laughs) Ken says only Tracy could spend two hours cooking lunch out of spite. Well, let's tuck in then, says Wendy, and she gets right tucked into it. Right, yes. Just basically which, saying, get it right up, you which Tracy. shocks Tracy to no end. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be tasty anyway. It looks fairly bland and poorly cooked. Right. But it's, it's Deirdre's signature dish is the only right, important yeah. part of that. Right, yeah. Tracy does not expect anyone to have to eat no. this. And Wendy forces it down. Yeah, good on her. But not like that. Tracy hasn't eaten a single bite. Wendy knows this is difficult and she was a bit of a whore in the past. But she's going to continue to see Ken with or without Tracy's blessing. Ken approves and the two of them head to the pub. So eventually Tracy joins them. She says that she'll never like Wendy, but she knows that she cares for Ken by the amount of marrow that she was able to put away, but not like that. She suggests getting something to eat to rid them of that horrible marrow taste. And I have never said marrow so frequently. And everybody laughs. Ha ha ha. That's as far as we get with that storyline this week. Yes. I'm going to like Wendy. Yeah, I don't mind her. Of course, I never minded her. No. I've I've always been fond of her. The whole, the whole Persephone thing. Persephone Braxton. Persephone Braxton. <laughs> Sister of Tony. Right. First of her name. Now, why do you think they gave her the name Persephone? Well, because they were talking about stories and stuff, and also Persephone, daughter of... Um, Persephone is the is the wife of Hades who was stolen, kidnapped and raped by Hades Yeah, and but why do you think the writers have given her that name? Just to be To make her sound like she's hoity-toity and pretentious perhaps, maybe I was I was thinking that it was alluding to the fact that, you know, mythology is also quite similar to fairy tales in the fact that lots of women die in childbirth and are, are raped and carried away. No, I think it's just to make her sound pretentious. Mm. Which it, it does. And yeah. the fact that she's having And that, making you assume that maybe that is a nom de plume. And also right up Ken Street. Yeah. Which it which it is. But not like that. No. Because he's with Wendy now. Hey, he makes a big, he seems to make a big deal of Wendy there, like, you know, when Persephone is talking. It's, it reminds me of something that happens later on in a different storyline where he seems to just be very 
wanting to be as obvious as possible about his affection for Wendy in this particular in this particular scene. I thought Mary and Brian were very funny mm-hmm. trying to call Ken and warn him that yeah. Tracy was coming. She was on the warpath. Yep. Yes. Brian's cut his hair different, I think. Oh, he had a, an appointment with David. Yeah. His forehead isn't quite so obvious. <laughs> I, I can still see it. Well, y- yeah. Yeah, I thought um, I thought there was a, a bit of fun, a bit of... Always good to have little references back to the classic Corey years and right. mentions of Deirdre and stuff. Or they never go amiss. No. And it's nice to have that. I think it's very interesting that this keeps happening for Ken, <coughs> but not for the older ladies of the street. And yet it's women who become much more sexually active as they age. Rita is... Why is Rita not had a sex life? She always comes across as the sort of... The person who refuses to to go into that. You know, her, her suitors in the past, and we've had one on classic Corey Anthony who wanted her to move to New Zealand. All her... They, they seem to... Everyone wants to take them away. Right. It's, it's never yeah, a... Yeah, it's like Jenny and, and Sinkhole Leo in Canada. Yeah, not that we're saying that Jenny is in that age group. No. But, no, but, yeah, but she, is an, she is a woman of a certain age on the show. Turn up and take them away, which is a an odd habit right. for them to be in, whereas Ken is used as a vehicle to bring an old character back as right. opposed to someone comes in to take him away. It's, right, it's yeah, an odd which is kind of what Claudia was as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Claudia. Ah, She's so fabulous. So fabulous. Yeah, and then Audrey, it's been a while since Nigel Havers kicked the bucket. Did he want to take her away or did he just want to steal her money? Neither. I don't think he wanted to steal her money at this point because he was making a lot of money as a gigolo. Oh, that's right. Remember he was, that? He was he, he was, was a, he was a gentleman of the night. <laughs> that's right. Nigel Havers. That's why it was only women at his funeral. <laughs> that was funny. It was funny. That was funny. It was funny. Let's move on then to our next storyline, which is Tim's Bobby. Again. Hopefully for the last time. But then, it's not really about Tim's Bobby, though. It's about his emotional... I think Tim's Bobby has a very important part to play in the storyline this well, week. Well, yes. Yes, it does. On Monday, in the morning, Dee Dee has lost her phone because she's clumsy and forgetful. Remember? Remember that? Sure. Michael is keen to know when she's moving back to LA so Glory can get James's old room. Ed was thinking the same, and Aggie bites her heads off for making Dee Dee feel unwelcome, which wasn't really what was happening at all, no. I don't think. Ed is thinking, unicorn wallpaper. Yeah. You I look, had unicorn wallpaper as a child. You look at Ed and you think unicorn wallpaper, don't you? Absolutely. Later, she meets Tim in the community garden and explains what happened at home. Tim thinks that Ed has a right to know what Dee Dee's plans are so he can provide accordingly. Seems like a reasonable request to him. And this gives Aggie some food for thought. When back home, Aggie decides to ask Dee Dee herself about her plans. But the most important part of that conversation is when Tim very astutely says, is this because you're missing James? Oh, yeah. And Aggie says, you know what? You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Tim. 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 (laughs) 
very, very, very wise, our Tim. Voted in high school as most likely to be astute. Dee Dee reveals that she was actually pretty unhappy in LA, that she was living in the middle of nowhere and she had no friends. Which is kind of what you thought last week, wasn't it? Well, yeah, the having no friends, but living in the middle of nowhere in LA. Well, it's all sprawled out, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Very sprawling city. I, I can imagine you could feel pretty alone there. Yeah. Much more so than in, like, New York, for example. Well, that's true. New York is better. <laughs> not that you're East You heard Coast, it here first, folks. Not that you're East Coast versus West Coast much. No, not at all. I live in the Midwest now, remember. She doesn't want to go back, which is East. <laughs> she doesn't want to go back. Ed tells her that she's welcome to stay for as long as she likes. So she packs in her job there and then. Nagy sends Tim a text thanking him for his advice and confirming that all's well again. And Tim smiles in a way that you'd expect from someone who has helped out a friend and nothing more. Yes. On Wednesday, Aggie's in Nina's rolls and she overhears Sally purr with delight to Yasmin about her fancy new necklace. Remember, that was our necklace of the week last week. No, it wasn't. That was a boring necklace of the week last week. Right, yes. It was Aggie's necklace that was the necklace, necklace of the week. Of the week. Finally, Tim has a decent idea what her tastes are like, she says. Back home, she checks with Tim to make sure that he's not working nights again this week because she's booked him a table at the bistro to thank him for her anniversary gift, the necklace. Right, yeah, because she seems to think that all of the nice meals and putting up the fairy lights the other night and everything wasn't enough to thank him for the necklace. Right, which is strange. Wasn't that strange? It was very strange. It was ridiculously strange. Later, Tim bumps into Aggie, who yanks his chain about Sally enthusing about her necklace. This reminds her to tell him that Ed noticed her necklace, which was Necklace of the Week last week. Uh-huh. And she lied to him, saying that she had it for a while, and she asked him to play along. Tim says that he had planned to pop round later to ask Ed what he thought about the jewellery that he'd bought his missus. And Aggie laughs, and we're reasonably sure that Tim was just joking. All right. And then at night, Tim and Sally are curled up watching a soppy film. And Tim seems preoccupied with his phone a little bit, but Sally could not be happy. Happier. Right. There's a difference there. <laughs> but Sally could not be happier. She doesn't care if she never gets her hole again. This is what life is all about. Yes. So on Friday, Sally has her meal planned for tonight. She's uh, on the risotto. She's excited because she hasn't been to the bistro in a few days. She's so happy <laughs> that he shared his problems with Peter as it's made such a difference to him. Yes, says Tim, lightheartedly. Peter, that's right. That's the ticket. And he did speak to Peter. He did. Just That's not all he spoke to. No. Tim comes home from lunch to find Sally doing living room aerobics to disco music. And he joins in. The both of them working up a sweat. It was Sally, apparently Donna Summer. I don't know. It was too soft for me to really tell. Sally's got all the moves. And afterwards, Tim and Sally collapse in a breathless lump. They laugh and giggle and tickle and poke and stroke and lick and at that point we must draw a discreet veil over proceedings right yes and sally wants to take a shower first and tim says no so tim and sally have got their whole i thought they'd got their whole weeks ago well they had had they yeah because it sounds like this is like the first time it's happened well it happened and then there was another dry spell all right you know what that's like well comes and goes (laughs) but apparently not they're all over each other telling each other that they love the other and then probably they're off to do it again. Right. And this was one of my favourite parts of the week. Tim and Sally are late for their table at the bistro 
And Debbie's like, I can't believe you guys are late. I've had to give your table away. Uh-huh. Take a chill pill, Debs, says Sally. Right, that was funny. She doesn't care about anything anymore. No, no, because she's gotten her hole. She's quite happy and content and quite happy to share with everyone they meet. I was just saying to Tim in bed. Sex. I was just saying to Tim in bed earlier. Oh, God. It's like, shut up, Sally. Not everybody wants to hear about your sex life. They're about to leave when Ed offers to share a table with him and Aggie. Tim and Aggie are aghast, but post-coital Sally is as adventurous as she is annoying, and she agrees, complimenting Aggie's lovely necklace. Right, yeah, while also doing a backhanded insult by saying that she's feeling adventurous, so she'll take a seat with strangers, and... Well, she doesn't doesn't know Ed and Aggie. They live on the same street. They've been involved... Sally roped Aggie into her campaign against cars. She knows Aggie. (laughs) They are friends. Tim discreetly texts Aggie as Sally complains to Ed about the blush she gets on the neck after she's got her hole. Right, yeah. She's (laughs) she's very openly telling people about their sex lives, which makes stuff that happens later weird. It's not weird already? Well, it's weird. It's all weird. Sally and Ed are chatting at the bar about how pork bellies like eating human flesh, which allows Aggie and Tim to chat. Aggie points out that Tim and Sally are looking full of love, and Tim points to the text that he sent her. But Aggie has received no such text. And when Tim checks, oh, pig's tits, he sent it to Sally instead. What? Sally and Ed. Yes, because Sally and Aggie are right next to each (laughs) other in your contact list. Two contacts on that list. Yeah, A and S. Mm. Sally and Ed come back to the table Sally sees that she's got a text from Tim And bets it's filthy But then she sees it and demands to know who it was for Aggie, says Tim sheepishly Finally did the deed with Sally Thanks to you X Tim has written Right. And Tim apparently never puts kisses on his texts Tim says that he can explain Sally is human Calling Aggie a dirty cow And Ed seems to, seems to be pretending to be outraged about this too Aggie says that they're just friends Tim says it was never physical And he swears on Tim's mum's life Right, yeah And also, what is your problem, Sally? You've been telling everybody who didn't ask That you just had sex So, why is this text bothering you so much? Tim and Sally leave As Aggie apologises profusely Insisting that she didn't have an affair But the necklace was a gift from Tim And Ed is totally winding Aggie up But accepts her explanation He calls it weird though and then hides a smile, wondering how Sally's taken all this. Because Aggie says, I didn't have an affair, we're just mates, and I have no idea how it happened. But it's, right. it sounds like it's, when she says I have no idea how it happened, right. it makes it sound bigger and grander than it actually right, was. Right, yeah. And she, and she when Ed's like, why didn't you just tell me? She's like, it sounded weird, because apparently men and women can't be friends. It sounded weird saying it out loud. Right. And I can I can get that. Sometimes it just sounds weird that something would be completely innocuous. But if you already say it, it sounds well that that sounds like there's that sounds like there's more to it than that. Right. So I can kind of see her point, but Ed didn't give a shit anyway. No, as he far didn't. as I can tell, because he turned away and he was laughing when he turns away, wasn't he? Yeah. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah, he's he's fine with it. I because he knows what we've known all along, which is that Aggie would never cheat. Or or certainly wouldn't cheat with Tim. Right, yeah, yeah. She cheated that one time with Ronnie, but they were on a break, so... They weren't even going out. No, yeah, it was was before before they even started dating. 
Sally though is less understanding and demands to see Tim's uh. phone. Tim happily hands it over, but Sally finds some ambiguous texts and also discovers that Aggie picked out her gorgeous necklace. He may not have had a physical affair, but he had an emotional one. For a man who couldn't read a couple of years ago, she says, he certainly sent a shitload of texts to the neighbour. She tells him to sleep on the couch. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I don't know if I would necessarily call this an emotional affair rather than just a friendship. I I can... It kind of bugs me that Ed is so very understanding, but, but Sally, the woman, is hysterical. That kind of bothers me. It's in character, though. It is in character. But, again, Sally and Aggie are friends. They worked together on this campaign or, about the cars. Or they were friends. Well, I can't imagine they would stop being friends. They may not necessarily talk to one another every day. But they live in the same community. And I'm sure that they talk to, to each other every once in a while. She seems really upset about... You know, the fact that he went to this other woman for comfort and advice, but was fine with Peter doing it, who's not... That's that's what gets me, is that she was fine with Peter. Right. And I think she's making a big deal because she loved the necklace. But all, all that happened, I imagine, right. is that Aggie spotted it and said, oh, don't you think that Sally would like that? Right. That Tim looks at it and says... Either yes or no. Yeah. Yes, that looks lovely, or no, it doesn't. Right. I think he makes the final decision on whether right. or not to I, I buy it or not. Right. I would imagine he would. But still makes it his choice. Right. All that's happened is that the equivalent of a shop assistant has right. has pointed it out. Right. Yeah. Would she feel cheated if if the shop assistant had said, "I think this is a nice necklace right. for your wife"? I mean, I'm trying to see it from her point of view, and I guess that. By him sending that text makes it sound like it, it wasn't entirely his decision to buy it and, and he doesn't know her as well after all. I can I can get how she maybe can jump to that conclusion, but, but it does seem a bit unfair. Yeah, and, because men... Uh, yeah, men. Yeah, men. Men. Yeah. Like, our, our trip last year up to that little cabin uh-huh. and stuff... You ran that by Audrey and said, do you think Helen would like this? And I was fine with that. And she said yes, and she was right. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish there was a, had been a better bed there, but sure. that's, you know, that's no. not Audrey's fault. And it's not no. your fault. No, no you, thought, you thought the whole loft thing I was... I thought it was going to be romantic. And cute it, and romantic. And it was inaccessible, really. Right. It was like sleeping in a coffin. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't think that because you asked Audrey her opinion that you were having an emotional affair with her. She's your coworker. Right. So it's fine. If, and you know, even if she wasn't your coworker, like if you ran it by Meg or, or Sue, you know, or one of the ladies at church, I would be fine with it because like you said, in the long run, it's your decision. And what you're really doing is you're getting a little bit of affirmation that this isn't a shit idea. Right. Is this a completely shit idea? Right. Because yeah. the shit ideas are probably the ones that I've never <laughs> I've never vocalised. That no one's had the chance to talk me out of. Right. So, which is why we ended up at <coughs> some of the other hotels that we've ended up at. 
Yeah, you know, I... And and again, you know, he, she seems to be so upset because he texted Aggie that they did the deed. And yet she was telling everyone in the bistro how they just had sex you and know, how the, sexy they are and how much they can't keep their hands off one another. The main problem about this is he kept it a secret. Right, but so did Aggie, and yet Ed is fine with it once, because Ed sits and listens to his wife (laughs) and lets her explain. Sally does not give Tim a chance to explain anything, because she's hysterical, because she's a woman. Because she's Sally. And because she's Sally. Right, but, you know, when she was mayor, and something bad happened, or something that came across as being bad, she would have had to have allowed people to explain it to her before jumping down their throat, I don't one would hope. I don't think we got to see that much of her mayoral right. stuff. Well, one would imagine. I, just, I, I was just hoping that this was going to be the end of uh, the Tim's Bobby storyline with them getting their hold, but it seems to now become something that is hopefully going to be resolved very early on next week. Right. Yeah, I'm and sure. not become a big thing because we have enough things, enough enough storylines at the moment where things continually pivot into something else. Right, and I'm really tired of Sally thinking that Tim is having an affair because yeah. this constantly happens. Yeah, and I'm kind of tired of it because, on the whole, they're very lovely together. Yes, and I appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully Ed will have a word with Sally and say, "Look, how's about it?" I'm, I'm. <laughs> I'm fine with Come it. Come on, sweet cheeks. You should be fine with it. And it really does uh, annoy uh, me the whole Sally acting like Ed and Aggie are are strangers. I know it was played for laughs, but the fact that she acts like she doesn't know the only black family on the street. <laughs> let's let's just be grateful though that it looks like Tim and Aggie aren't going to have an affair now. Oh, thank God. Unless Sally's pushing them to get no. It's not happening. That because let's remember that's what happened the last time. No. <laughs> and now we'll move on. Yes. To strictly come murdering. <laughs> on Friday, Nick is getting Sam ready for school and pissed that Sam doesn't want a ride. Probably not helped by the fact that Nick is dressed like a snooker player at the moment. Nick goes through the mail and stops in his tracks when he sees something disturbing. And it goes to show Leanne They've received visiting orders for Harvey Gaskell In jail right on the anniversary Or close to Of Natasha's death They don't know what's prompted this But Nick wants to keep it from Sam And he tears up the orders and throws them away Leanne though can't get Harvey out of her mind Or the way those snake hips of his move As he does a cha-cha-cha And finishes her off with an American smooth (laughs) Oops (coughs) <coughs> you can't do that to me this week. Will Meller on Strictly is kind of sensational. Yeah, I can imagine. He, he's built for it. They've, I've only got the first couple of weeks. I haven't watched this week. Uh, they've given him dances that, that suit him very well. Uh-huh. That give him, he's, he has a, a very expressive body. Mm. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's rather good at it. This is what Harvey wants. No kidding. She's worried that this means that there's something horrible coming their way and she doesn't mean Nick's waistcoat. Ha ha ha. 
Sam gets home and interrupts our conversation. Nick announces that they're all going to go away for a few days next week and he's cleared up with school. And that you get the impression that it's just because of this whole Harvey thing. Leanne goes outside to put up a menu, but everywhere she looks, she sees reminders of Harvey. And we know this because the light changes and <laughs> there's filters. a thumping music. Mm-hmm. You can hear a heartbeat. Right, and yes. The, and the focus kind of vignettes in. So right, and like everything it's... goes bright around Leanne's head. Yeah. Because acting's not enough, apparently. <laughs> right. And I then there's a moment where, uh, uh, where Debbie turns up to make sure that she's all right. And she's asking, you know, is it okay with, this, with Sam and, and all that? And Sam, are you worried that he's going to go back into his shell? Uh-huh. With all that sort of stuff. And, and Leanne's very dismissive of her. And Debbie says, look, I don't need to ask you these questions. Your right. life's pretty boring to me. Right. I thought that was excellent. Yes. Back home, Nick has helped by switching off all the lights in the flat just to make it spooky. And Leanne decides that Harvey is fucking with her head so much she almost wishes that he was outside so she could find out what he really, really wanted. What he wants. What he really, really wants. A zig zig That's as far as we get with that. So this is the right. result of Sam's, Sam's letters. letters, right? Right. That I... <laughs> I would, it would amuse me greatly if the visiting order is for Harvey to say, get your wee laddie to stop writing me. Right. <laughs> now beat it. Right. I would like that to be the purpose of this. What else could it be? Well, he probably wants them to know that Sam is writing him these letters. Right. And maybe wants them to stop. Or maybe, maybe he's turned over a new leaf. He's become a better man. Thank thanks God. to Sam's letters. Maybe wants to play chess. Maybe. But there's no visiting order for Sam. I think we need to know the contents of Sam's letter. What's yes. Sam been writing right. to and, him for? And see, so Sam needs to discover this whole thing. He's going he's to go through the garbage and find the ripped up thing, do you think? I don't know if it's going to be like the owls from the letter from Hogwarts that just keep on appearing... If they don't get a response. Right. Oh, God, and then Hagrid's not going to turn up. Well, no. No, rest in peace, oh, Hagrid. We lost Hagrid and Jessica Fletcher in one week. It's terrible. And the coal miner's daughter last week, the week before. They're just dropping like flies, aren't they? They're realize for how some people get this is, this is And like I said to you, 72 in Scotland's like 105 in, <laughs> in the rest of the world. That's pretty good going. Right. It's like 2016 all over again. Let's hope... Nothing else from 2016 years. It's an ugly head. I think we'd better move on. Yes, I think so too. To Bernie at the double. (laughs) On Friday at the quad house, Gemma stands on Jones the Quad's favourite truck and breaks it. Bernie's joining a cleaning agency and reckons that she'll be raking it in soon enough and can afford to buy a new one. Gemma is unconvinced though. And she leaves before Fern calls. Fern has a job for Bernie, but Bernie explains that she's joining this cleaning agency, so she doesn't need her her jobs. Thanks, but no thanks. And then Fern drops in to see Bernie and talks her out of applying to that cleaning company. It seems they're cowboys who don't pay their staff. Hmm. Bernie is appreciative of this. Fern offers to help her find a more reputable agency and gives Bernie some cash to go and get a takeaway, which is completely normal. So Bernie leaves a total stranger alone in the quad house. Right, and does not take her purse. This is important. Yeah, because she's been given the money. But even if she hadn't been given the money, this is, going, this is going to be a sweeping generalisation, but women like to go out with their purse. Right, because you need your ID. Because what if something happens to you? 
And also your phone lives in your purse because women aren't allowed to have pockets, remember? That's right. That's As I put my hands in my pockets. <laughs> They're very shallow pockets, though. With Bernie gone, Fern goes through her bag, Bernie's bag, mm-hmm. and pulls out a bank statement, which she pockets along with a tie-dye shirt, and then she leaves. Yeah. Looks like Fern's going to be taking advantage of the fact that they look alike also. Maybe take right. out a loan or something like that? Buy a car, maybe? With with Bernie's credit? I don't think so. <laughs> right, I don't think she's going to get very far. Did, did, you, did you freeze and look at the stuff that Bernie I, has been... I did. It was... Kind of boring. It was boring, yeah. Did you pause it? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I know it was kind of boring. Oh, no, okay. there, was, there was nothing exciting on that statement. The co-op and devs and Which stuff. made me sad. Right. There was no, you know, to like a weed co-op or, you know, a sex toy place or something. A little present for dev. Oh. <laughs> well. If you know what I mean. It's funny how you, you say sex toys and dev and suddenly just images just <laughs> popping. <coughs> Pop uninvited into one's You're head. welcome. <laughs> Coming back from devs, Bernie runs into Gemma who wonders where she got the money for the wine and the takeaway. And I, I, this, this is something that I don't like. Them what? wondering where, well, where did you get the money for that? How, right. how come you've buying money on takeaways and wine and not putting money into the house and stuff. Right. I don't like that. No. Bernie says that Fern gave her the cash and Gemma takes a piss out of her calling Fern Bernie's imaginary friend. Yeah. Bernie's offended wondering how Gemma got so jaded and untrusting. But when they get home there's no Fern and this sets Gemma off again reminding her of the time that Bernie claimed to have seen Gabby Roslin on the dance floor at Danceteria. Gemma reckons that Fern is a hallucination. And this is what you were talking about the other week. Right. That people think that, or maybe Fern is imaginary, but she's not imaginary. She's not imaginary, but everybody thinking that she's imaginary and, you know, this becoming a problem right. f- for for Bernie, especially as things happen, as it seems like they might happen with this statement being stolen that, Bernie's money disappears or Bernie is made responsible for mm-hmm. certain things. She doesn't have Bernie's ID though. No. And you cut you have to show identification to get a loan, don't you? No. And you'd have to know like her her Oh, maybe you need a driving license, I'm not sure. Like some ID I know you don't have social security numbers over there, but you think We have th- national insurance numbers. Right. You, and you'd think that you would have to show that to prove that you are the person you claim. Very rarely. You have to hand that over, in my experience. What is wrong with you, people? I can tell you what my national insurance number was. I memorized my social security number the day that I got it. Right, because that you need all the time. Right. I know that it begins with an N and it ends in a D, but I couldn't tell you the numbers in between it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a nice little story. It's good to see that the Fern and the Bernie thing is still going on. Cause I the do Fern like, and the Burn. I do like Bob from Blackadder. I think I'd, I'd like to see Bernie getting a little bit more indignant about the whole right. hallucination. She seems a little thing. indignant, and I think she will get more indignant and then hysterical <laughs> and people to people that will prove that to them that she is imaginary and that there's something wrong and she needs to be locked up. I look forward to it. Ugh. Our final storyline today is Nazir and Bailey super sleuths again. 
On Monday at Speeddal, Yasmin sees Homeless Stew in a wee world of his own. He reveals that he's made several suggestions for a time to meet up with Bridget, but she continually dingies him and he blames that bitch of an ex-wife of his. So after a chat with Alia, Yasmin decides to do something about it and she meets up with Bridget uh, at the first time of asking in the Rovers later that day. And they have a chat and Yasmin points out that Eliza seems really keen to have a relationship with her homeless granddad and by all accounts, so does Bridget because she turned up. They don't have to go along with Lucy's wishes, says Yasmin. And back home, Yasmin explains to Homeless Stew about seeing Bridget and she owes him an apology. Homeless Stew is struck dumb until Yasmin reveals that she was only winding him up because Bridget and Eliza are coming for lunch tomorrow, but she's got no food in and that's what she was apologising for. Ha 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 ha, says everyone. And Homeless Stew smiles, a big Homeless Stew smile. But Alia, though, seems less happy. Hmm. On Wednesday... Bridget and Eliza arrive at Yasmin's. Homeless Stew has put on a spread, but all Eliza cares about is the pancakes, apparently. Homeless Stew doesn't say champion to her anymore, and uh, she says that he's her favourite granddad. Because he's her only granddad. After the she lush... doesn't know her she doesn't know her dad, does she? No. He kind of ran off yeah. conveniently. Yes. For plot purposes. Yes. After their lush lunch, Homeless Stew threatens to go and get his guitar. But to stop him, Eliza asks him where he learned. Inside, says her favourite granddad. And that shuts her up long enough for him to go and get the bloody guitar. Later, Eliza asks Homeless Stew what it was like being in prison. Bridget swallows her chin a bit as he explains that the worst bit about being locked up for a murder he didn't commit while the real perpetrators walked around free for years was how he missed seeing Bridget grow and wasn't around for Eliza's birth. Bridget freaks out at this and runs out the backyard. Homeless Shoe goes after her, assuming, assuming that he did something wrong and he apologises, but Bridget can't deal with this shit anymore. She has to confess, it was her what killed Charlie. What? Bridget Jason Voorhees. Michael Myers. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Do you know the original Jason Voorhees just died? Yeah. So Bridget explains what happened that night. Seems that she went to see Homeless Stew at the restaurant, which was in the middle of nowhere, conveniently, to show him a clay model of their dog. But still, yeah, but still has a bus stop. Yeah. She saw him and Charlie dogging in his car. He drove off to the casino and Bridget approached Charlie and confronted her. And they argued and Charlie called Bridget a stupid child because she was like three years old or whatever at the time. So Bridget accidentally twatted Charlie with the clay model of their dog, Alfie, who almost you can't remember. It killed her instantly, like ceramic pet ornaments are prone to do. Right. Holmes Stew remarkably takes all this in, in the his hands of a teenage girl until he discovers that Bridget called Lucy instead of the police. Lucy and Bridget buried Charlie in the woods and when the police arrested Homeless Stew, Lucy made Bridget promise not to say anything. So you were happy to stitch me up, you cow, says Homeless Stew. And Bridget calls herself a coward and tells Homeless Stew to do whatever he needs to do. After 34 years, she's ready for the consequences. And to prove that, she grabs Eliza and she fucks off. Now... (sighs) They were at a bus stop in front of a restaurant yeah. when when this happened. In the middle of nowhere, yeah. And then she had to wait for her mother to get there. Mm-hmm. Was she just sitting at the bus stop with a dead body? <laughs> Did the bus come by and she say, oh, no, never mind. Me and the dead one, we don't need a ride anymore. 
Did she prop her up so it looked like she was just drunk? This is a weekend at Bernie's situation here. What is going on? None of this makes sense. Now, I... (sighs) She made a clay model of their dog. Alfie. Yes. She wanted homeless you to see it. Do they just have like a list of 10 names that they just constantly (laughs) recycle through? Is there a reason why... He was a good boy. He has the same name as Abby's son. Mm. Do they do they not have it any was more Alfie, names? I think, wasn't it? Regardless, she's like, I don't understand ages in this because if she was a teenager, if she was an old enough teenager to get, because this was 30 years ago. So she's like 45, 50. It or puts, in her 50s. It puts Bridget between 47 and 53 years old. I guess she kind of looks like she could be maybe in her 40s. But... Well, he's just in his 60s, I think, isn't he? Surely not. Surely he's in his 70s. No, I think he's, I think he's close to 70. I'm glad it's not a gun. I'm glad she didn't shoot her. But... Then again, we did. We do know that she was killed by a blunt object. What was the size of this, this bloody ceramic dog? Was it right. life size? It was a life size dog that. How did she that, drag? That killed. How did she drag a ceramic dog in a wheelbarrow? It was all that way on a bus. Because, like, and most ceramics are rather light. If it was like pottery, I guess maybe. I just, I, I don't, don't think it's killing anybody instantly. I, I really don't. Th- she'd have I to. I think have, it's really hard to kill people. She'd have to have hit her right in the right spot, like you know, it's like right there. Your temple, yeah. Right, but like a very particular part of your temple. She'd have to have, and they were both heated. They were both yelling. They were both arguing. Was the restaurant closed? must have been it was because uh thomas Stew was gone so that means that it was like and 11 o'clock at night or so this 14 year old girl or whatever gets a bus on her own at that time of night that uh, the timeline of the whole thing and just, nobody notices her and her mother dragging a dead body off and putting it in the car gary doesn't notice that there's a body there no because it's okay the body was found the body was found I, you know, at least Gary killed Rick the Chin in the woods, mm-hmm. so there was no transporting that body right. necessary until later when it was. But still, right. none of this makes sense, and it's so ridiculous. It makes me so mad. Justice for Charlie. I'm I'm looking to get angrier as this goes on, but I, I, already I'm perplexed at the the timeline and the ages because it's like yeah. a 14 year old committing murder and getting away with it and imagine they conceal it for all this time right seems quite a stretch and a 14 year old managing to hit a grown woman with a ceramic dog a with enough massive ceramic force dog. to kill a woman in one blow one blow and instantly it seems instantly died yep instantly just they knew she was dead dead and then has the time to call her mother, and her mother has the time to get there before the bus does. And the I, number of years ago that this was, 
she's not got a mobile phone for this. No. So how so did she call her mother? So she's gone to her pay phone. <laughs> Let's, well, we, we could be here all night. We could be. Homeless Stu goes for a walk to clear his mind, which is so homeless Stu. Right, but at least he doesn't get drunk or take any drugs this time. When he comes back, he explains all this to perplexed Yasmin. But she was just a little girl, says Yasmin on behalf of the audience. A teenager, says Homeless Stu, like that makes a difference. And like I said, this puts Bridget between 47 and 53 years old now, and she has an 11-year-old daughter. Yasmin asks if he's going to go to the police with this information. But before he decides, Lucy bangs on the door. She needs to talk to Homeless Stu about this, and she asks him to do it for Bridget, the daughter who let him serve 27 years for a murder he didn't commit. Do it for her. So Homeless Stu takes her to the community garden where Lucy appeals to his sense of family, which really boils Homeless Stu's piss. Right, and yeah, yeah, you mean the family that you wouldn't let me see? She reminds him that he's no innocent part in all this after that fucking trollop waitress. Homeless Shoe would have taken the rap for Bridget, would have pleaded guilty and got a shorter sentence if he'd known, which which makes sense. Right. This is the only bit of this that does make sense. Right, yeah, because if he had known that his daughter had done it, he wouldn't have fought it. Right. Lucy tells him that if he can't let this go for Bridget, then maybe he should do it for Eliza. And if not for her, how about doing it for Alfie? Who? asks Homeless Stu. Your dog, says Lucy. Why can't I remember that dog? screams Homeless Stu. And he tells Lucy <coughs> to fuck right off. <coughs> Homeless Stu goes back home. He tells Yasmin that he's made up his mind and he's not going to go to the cops. Having Bridget and Eliza in his life is more important. And if he has to go without justice, then so be it. Everyone who's important to him knows the truth. But then we see Dee Dee outside the pub and she calls Alia to let her know that she's heard back from the DNA lab and the results should be available tomorrow. Uh-oh. Tomorrow she'll find out if Alia's hunch about it being Lucy is correct. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, Homeless Stu is up and in fine fettle because his family know he's innocent. His family always knew he was innocent. Right. He also reckons that Charlie's family got justice. How? Yasmin, though, couldn't sleep. She isn't comfortable that Bridget gets away scot-free. And then Alia comes downstairs and misses all this vital conversation. And Alia goes to see Dee Dee, who is wrestling with a bunch of files because she's clumsy and all that. The DNA results haven't come through yet, but Dee Dee promises to keep her abreast of the situation. Dee Dee warns her to cock Annie, though. And home, Homeless Stew meets Bridget in the community garden. She's about to hand herself in, but Homeless Stew doesn't want to become daughterless Stew again. He doesn't want to be punished by her getting sent down and would not and would have covered for her anyway, he says. So it all adds up to the same thing, don't you think? He tells her to keep her mouth shut. We've all suffered enough and all he wants to do is build the relationship with his murdering daughter. Later, Dee Dee visits Alia at Speed Dial with the DNA results. It was a partial match. 50% Stew, 50% Lucy. Because that's how DNA works. Alia doesn't understand, so Dee Dee sits Alia down and explains the birds and the bees. It must have been Bridget what done it. But she was 14 or 15 years old, says Alia. That doesn't make sense. Not only that, the police will have to get these results, which no one has mentioned to anyone before. And after all, they were private, so I don't see how... Anyone is compelled to tell anybody anything. I I think I think since since the DNA doesn't match the person who I, I'm sure that even though it was privately done, the police would get a copy of the results since it's a How sure are you? Very sure. <laughs> because home, it was like a crime and they arrested the wrong person. But the nobody knows that it's a crime. All you're doing is getting stuff DNA tested. Right. Nobody has to say to them that a crime was committed. They just give results back. 
I don't think the police should be getting involved in this. I think the police are involved in this because plot. Mm. Back home, homeless Stu and Bridget, <coughs> they're just made a banter. But Yasmin finds it hard to pretend that neither of them is a murderer. Bridget nips off for a shite in someone else's house, just as the doorbell rings. Yasmin answers it, and it's the cops. They have some important news for Mr. Homeless Stu. There's been a development. Uh-oh. Homeless Stu has a bucket of questions, but the police can't say one way or the other. They're just there to tell him that there's been a development, plus in a completely unrelated matter. Any idea where your daughter is? Homeless Stu plays dumb, just as Bridget comes down the stairs. He's furious when she gets taken away, but she seems calm about the whole thing, like she was just waiting for it to happen. And Homeless Stu blames Yasmin for all this. Yes. She was the only one who knew the truth. She promised she wouldn't meddle on this without his approval, and then Alia comes in and she holds her hands up. It were me what got your murderous daughter lifted, she says. She thought she was doing the right thing, trying to prove Homeless Stu's innocence, and she apologises. But he isn't interested and is furious with Alia, and he leaves to go to, to the cop shop to see Bridget, his daughter, who murdered his girlfriend and let him take the rap for it. Lucy is at the police station too, looking like she's getting brought in for questioning. Right, yes. Hol- Homeless Stu finds out that Eliza's with a neighbour, so decides that she's better off with him. And also, he needs to speak with Bridget, which she doesn't get to do, I don't think. No, I, I think thought, he does. A- he does because he's able to get Eliza. Because initially, Lucy, who is not Eliza's guardian, tells him that, you know, over her cold, dead corpse. <laughs> But then he gets Eliza after all, so I'm assuming that he had a chance to talk to Bridget and Bridget said, yes, she should go with you. And I thought this was pretty rich a homeless Jew because at, the, at this minute, he's furious with Yasmin and Alia and he's taken Eliza back to their house. That he lives in. Yeah, but he's, a, he's kind of a guest there. No, he helps out. He cooks. <laughs> I don't know. I think if, if I was him, I'd be going to look for something else. And he's else not mad at Yasmin anymore, not remember. Anymore. Now that's, he's that's just mad at Alia. Homeless Stu and Yasmin bring Eliza home. She's made a questions now, wondering if Mama or Nana murdered the nice lady. Pop Pop was shagging. Yasmin distracts her and then she takes her upstairs as Alia comes in to grab some stuff, saying that she'll be staying at Matt's. Yeah, remember Matt? Vaguely. The guy she's shagging that, that is a supplier that isn't Ryan. for her restaurant. She reminds him that she did this to give him his family back, not take it away. But Homeless Stu couldn't give a fuck and tells her to bolt. Clearing her conscience isn't high on his list of priorities right now. Maybe not, but clearing his name was high on hers. Right, seriously. So Eliza's put to bed. Homeless Stu wonders if he's been too harsh on Alia and apologises for blaming Yasmin. After 30 years of dreaming of the day he'd be exonerated, now that that day's here, it's the worst day of his life. And that's how we end this week's episodes. That must have been one heck of a ceramic dog. It must have been like a Great Dane or something. <laughs> right. You're not killing anyone with a chihuahua. Uh, uh, somebody posted, uh, it might have been Scott or it might have been Chris. I can't remember who. It, it might have been somebody else. But I just remember seeing them on my feed, somebody saying, it's really difficult for us to care about characters we don't know talking about things that happened that we didn't see right and that is Bef- yeah before they came on the show and that is entirely I think I saw this. That as well this, this could have been anything right and and we're expected to care about it because we care about homeless stew and and while i do care about homeless stew and i like homeless stew and i like what he's bringing for yasmin yes i don't care about this and all they've done 
by having this murdering storyline where he's so keen to clear his name until he isn't. Right. Um, has just brought in all this vague nonsense of a murdering teenage girl who right. gets away with it that he is left wanting to have a, a relationship with. All those words are venom that he's spitting at uh, Alia. Right. That, Alia. That, that he's having to leave because he might say something or he might do something that he's going to regret. Right. None of this has been directed towards Bridget or to Lucy. Right. Who have concocted this story that's put him away. Right. For half his life. Right. But yet his anger is towards... Alia. Alia, who was trying to clear his name. Who right. He, and, okay, so he said that he didn't want it investigated. But wheels were in motion. Already. And sometimes those wheels... Can't are, be stopped. Or are, are slow to, to stop. Right. And maybe it's just a dad thing. He is already totally forgiven of them. And having Although a relationship... really And having a relationship with Eliza is... Is as important to him though as having a relationship with Bridget, right? The the woman who killed Charlie, right? And at least it seems like he will continue to have a relationship with Eliza and Bridget in prison. It's the fact that Lucy is able to talk him out of it so quickly, you know, because at first he's very very angry and he's like, "Oh well, you let me take the fall for this, really?" Right. You know. And and it is a fair point. The whole if I had known. I would I would have pled guilty and I would have gotten a shorter sentence. Yeah. You know, these he's, are all valid points. He's still doing 20 years porridge for this. He's probably, very angry. He, he's very angry until he's not, until she says something about Eliza. And the funny thing is, if Bridget and Lucy go down, he gets to have Eliza all to himself. <laughs> so he can have this relationship with Eliza. It's fine. And Bridget seems to genuinely want to go to jail for this. She genuinely seems to have come to a point in her life where she's like, it was wrong of me to let my dad go down. I need to take account for this. Right. Not just for myself, but for Charlie's family, you know, and for my dad. But he's so quick to, to say that, well, they, they've kind of got justice. Right. Because somebody cause, went cause down some, for it. Because some deserve time for it. Right. Not the right person. It's like, oh, how quickly you're able to to change all your beliefs that you've held true that all those nights apparently that you were lying awake in jail waiting for exoneration and wait and waiting for for the the true culprits to get um to get what's coming to them and for charlie's family to get the the justice they deserved how quickly we forget about that right when it turns out it was bridget are we sure are we sure coronation street are we sure it wasn't lennox are we sure right because he was having an affair remember that right. was a that was a red heron and we thought yeah and we thought oh well maybe he was having the affair with lucy with lucy wouldn't that be convenient well convenient it, enough it kind of left me a little bit furious meanwhile nobody knows that leo is dead <laughs> and meanwhile poor rana will never get justice because it, everybody is dead it does it does remove an unsolved murder from active storylines on the street right now right but and at least like i said no floating guns no floating guns but who cares somebody that we don't know killed somebody that we don't know 30 years ago right 
wow, those are some high stakes there, right? Right. I wonder why Emmerdale manages to pick up Best Soap at the NTAs when we've got a storyline going on here where somebody we didn't know killed somebody we didn't know 30 years ago. In fairness, they have... It spoils my piss. A fair share of stupid stunts as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because aren't they the... Is it Emmerdale? but they're... they're, Doing the stupid storm thing? Yeah, and they've they've done a plane crash just after Lockerbie. But... (laughs) What? But they've they've also had Marlon Stroke storyline, which has been amazing. Right. And they've had Faith's uh, terminal oh, yeah. illness that, that was that was really good incredible sally dexter by the way just incredible right she was done. and god i don't want to do a a bit of emmerdale here but there's a there was a scene this week in emmerdale when when faith dies uh-huh. on screen right with kane her son right there and my goodness there was a few memories triggered for me right watching that yes uh, because it was it was done incredibly well, right? So yeah, Emmerdale's been doing some stupid things like making every single young female pregnant, but well, but it's also doing some some very good things, right? And th- this storyline with Homeless Shoe would not have been one of those things. No. And you know, we seem to have forgotten the one good storyline we've had in the past few weeks, the Anorak. <laughs> Completely forgotten about. Completely forgotten about a vehicle to get. Evelyn out the show for a while, it seems. No, let's go back to that. That's life hanging. People People care about that. People, people remember people cared about the ghost that was standing outside the police car last year? Yeah. That turned out to nothing. be nothing. Well, we're going to be doing the same with the, with the, with anorak. the, the missing anorak. Uh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes, it was. What it was, was a week. What was your moment of the week? wasn't a great week it wasn't a great week it's not a great week is it paul and the vending machine <laughs> surely not <laughs> paul and the vending machine. i'm not making a meme for that i'm sorry Please, no make up it's easy well you do it then i'm sick <laughs> <laughs> it's paul and the vending machine <sighs> it can't be it can't be it can't be paul getting crisps <laughs> His ninja moves with the vending machine were a delight. Ah, uh, Tracy making the marrow. Mm. No. Wendy eating the marrow. That yeah, Wendy saying "fuck you," let's eat this marrow. That's kind of moment of the week, isn't it? I think that's better than Paul Paul's vending machine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Wendy making her claim on ken in front of tracy well wendy eating the marrow to say fuck you to tracy is our moment of the week week. your bottom moment of the week was it nick and sam talking about giving them a ride to school ken yelling at jacob about the stereo and not changing the station back back to stupid bloody classical music that's our boring moment of the week there we go. Well Fuck remembered. Off, Ken. He's cleaning your house. <laughs> right. He's For a free, young probably. man cleaning your house. He doesn't have to do that. And yet he's doing it. Let him have his music. He's got his headphones on. You don't have to listen to it. 
It's fine. <laughs> what well, the hell, man? That wraps it up for another week. Then, if you have any idea about the size of dog ornament that must have killed Charlie, please give us a sketch of it. Send it to the talk of the street at gmail.com. We are at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Hell in the Coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of Voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more The Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Cheerio.